Good afternoon, or indeed good evening, dear listener. Welcome to Volume 2, Episode 1 of Weekend at Crombies. And for this episode, we'll be discussing the film Face. Welcome, dear listener, to our volume two of Weekend at Crombies. It'll be uh, faster, leaner, and insights will be even keener. My name is Hugh. As long as you tell me exactly what to do and it's not too complicated, I'm as sweet as a nut. And my name is Dr. James Evans Esquire. You slag! Fear not, dear listeners, uh, Dr. Evans is not returning to his Felton roots. He is, in fact, inspired by the uh, the 90s British gangster movie that we're about to review, which is Face. Without Bosh! Further, Bosh! Without further ado, let's get on it. <laughs> we begin. Um, and in case you didn't know it was a British gangster film made in the late 90s, the Paul Weller is playing on the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so we have two, two characters driving along. Um, this is uh, Ray and Dave. Uh, Ray is played by Robert Carlyle. Dave is played by uh, Ray Winston. So we're going to get our Rays confused, I'm sure, to start with. But they are essentially two two petty criminals who are posing as policemen to turn over a drug dealer. This is the way we introduce ourselves to the two of the main characters. It's also quite a good thematic thing of, A, nothing is what it seems. It sets up the, the relationship between the two of them, that they work well together, that Robert Carlyle can impersonate a police officer at will, and a few other details. But it's basically, it also sets up, you know, criminals feeding off other criminals they're, 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 they're beating each other up for sort of petty amounts of cash yeah and and that's that yeah so it's, it's, it's a brief mode of violence to to set the scene of uh, they go to a housing estate and they they kick the door down beat up a drug dealer steal his stash and, and that's that it's it's ray winston being kind of ultra ray winston yeah um if you can imagine which is not a, a big stretch i have to say imagine ray winston bashing a door down yeah and then running in screaming at people. That's kind of what he's doing, really. Robert yeah, Carlyle is yeah. kind of, you know, he, he, he's, he's there um, being all calm and collected and Ray Winston's just going ape. Yeah, it's probably Ray Winston before he started playing against type and was actually in that type. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. But so, anyway, so that, that's the scene set, and then we um, we immediately go off to um, the main heist of the movie, which is where the gang gathers. So we start off with, with again, Ray and Dave. Ray, Ray's sort of housemate is, uh, or, or man he's looking after, is Steve, who's kind of a gentle giant. Uh, he's... I, I would call him a village idiot. <laughs> or a village idiot. <laughs> if he was in the same room as me, I'd call him a gentle giant. Uh, from yes, the sa- oh, on the safety of 20 yeah. years away, I'd probably agree with your assessment. He's a, he's a fairly simple-minded man who's, who's blindly loyal to Ray, uh, about six foot six tall um, and 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 as sweet as a nut as long as he does what he's told. Uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoys enjoys reading science fiction novels. Yes, um, played Weirdly. by Steve, played by Steve Waddington, who again um, was before and after this doing much bigger roles. So it's quite a small role for him, which I think he gets a lot out of. But we'll talk about that in the analysis. So there's, there's yeah. big big Steve uh, is coming along. Uh, they picked up young Jason, who's a, a young lad who's doing his first who's doing his first gig. Played <laughs> and clearly from Germany. <laughs> I think Cockney accents will drift in and out, so um, in and out of the country as well. Now uh, they pick up Jason, who's the who's the the new lad on the firm, played by Damon Albarn. Yeah, of of Britpop fame and and a blur and gorillas. Um, yeah, yeah, which is an interesting choice. I wouldn't say he sets the the screen on fire. Um, 
but luckily Jason is meant to be um, a sullen man that wears headphones all the time and looks out from under his baseball cap. So you could really have just put a mop in a hat and and, and had the same effect. I think there's probably a reason why he's not been in any more films. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, think his be. subsequent pop career was um, him playing a cartoon gorilla. Yes. Um, yeah. However, he, the, the, the fifth and final member of the firm um, is made up by someone who can certainly light up the screen. This is Phil oh, Davis. Yeah, Weekend at Crombie's favourite. Weekend at Crombie's favourite, Phil Davis, yeah, um, <laughs> who's playing Julian, who is sort of the fixer. He's the guy that, that gets the, the guns and the cars and, and the Julie. equipment. And just, don't call him Julie, you know he don't like that. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, um, again, we'll, we'll dig into the characters, but uh, <coughs> clearly yeah, Phil Davis is having a, a hell of a time playing Julian. Um, he's just chewing up the scenery to great effect. So that's. I've got to say, if, if, if nothing else, if it, when on my deathbed and I look back on the folly that was weekend at Crombie's <laughs> in the years 2018 to 2035, I will at least take to my grave the knowledge that through weekend at Crombie's, I watched Phil Davis acting the shit out of the screen in two films at least indeed yes the uh, the, the phil davis appreciation society continues um so the firm is gathered and then we uh we they drive to their their hideout where they get all their gear ready what they're planning is essentially to drive a van with a battering ram on the front through the side of a money counting warehouse steal as much money as they can grab in four minutes before the police arrive and then leg it uh, yeah. It goes quite well. Um, they... It does go well, but yeah, it does go well. And also, just to just to yeah. add something there, the the warehouse is in Hounslow. Ah, oh, there we are. So you know, uh, 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 as uh, regular weekend at Quamby listeners, the listener, sorry, as regular weekend at Quamby listener, hello. Uh, well, that is uh, my um, my old haunt. Where I was born and born and bred. Did you, you did, did, did you consider the access to be authentic then? Um, not Robert Carlyle's. <laughs> His his Glaswegian uh, patois crept in on occasion. Ah, oh, don't be like that. <laughs> you bloody bastard. Well, that wasn't <laughs> Glaswegian. No, that was Northern. It's just not a Northern comedy. <laughs> we digress. The, um, yeah. the, the heist goes quite well. There is actually a moment when... Julian refuses to obey the four minutes and out rule, and because he's just there's still a lot of money left to get in the bag, and he refuses to go. It's sort of like um, a crazy supermarket sweep, but with cash instead. He just keeps on grabbing it, um, yeah. which almost leads him to come a cropped. Um, Ray is basically dragging them out of there, but they they get away clean. Um, however, the first first wrinkle in the plan comes out when they count up the money in their hideout after the uh, after the event, and it turns out it's far far less than they were banking on. Yeah, a lot less. Um, so they were thinking it would be something like three million pounds. Uh, I two, think two million. Uh, two million. Yeah, it turns out was, they got something in the region of three hundred thousand. I think right. Yeah. That's right, isn't it? And so you know, um, a paltry sum, um, given that they were expecting um, to reap the rewards of that. I will actually say that this this scene did leave me with something of an earworm because I remember Damon Albarn wanders up to it, the money, and just goes, "It looks like bandles," and Mavis just goes, <laughs> "No, it ain't bandles, son." <laughs> And I just had an image of um, a clown called Mr. Bundles who had been found dead in the street and uh, Ray Winston and Damon Albarn were arguing about whether or not it was truly Mr. Bundles. <laughs> well, it if... ain't Bundles. Bundles ain't dead. <laughs> I quite like to watch that film. <laughs> but I digress. The money is not enough. It's, you know, they used to get about 60 grand a piece, but it's clearly when they're expecting to take away half a million each. And that's clearly a big disappointment. 
to the, the first point when Julian decides um, to rip the others off with his expenses. He uh, again he had to set up all the cars in the hideout, and he immediately claims it cost him forty grand to do that. And then at the point of a shotgun, insists he's right without producing any receipts, which is anyone who submitted expenses knows that is not the correct procedure. Um, no. And so, if, if anyone if anyone who knows criminals, um, they're also not to be trusted. Uh, indeed, or file receipts. But so uh, <laughs> when, once Julian is talked down, everything's happy. They immediately then start beating him up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they um, do. And and they they get the truth out of eventually that he's, he spent about eight and a half grand on it. But um, but again the. Uh, they all leave quite disappointed, and in fact, particularly, uh, particularly um, Dave. Uh, Dave. Dave, yeah. Dave is, yeah, Dave is in fact muttering things about, well, why don't we just kill Julian for the stunt he's pulled? How dare he? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in fact, there is, well, again, we could go on about the Phil Davis scenes a lot, but there is a scene after they've they've beaten Julian up and they're basically dragging him off to his house to dump him off at home with his share of the money. Um, they've just stuck him in the boot, um, so yeah. once again, Ray and Dave are driving along, and all you can hear is Phil Davis's muffled sound in the boot saying, "Let me out of here, lads!" <laughs> Yeah, go on, ten, ten grand then. What about ten grand? All yeah, right, go, yeah, well, let me out. Yeah, shut up, Julie. I tell you that to call me that, but I'm not <laughs> going to start around now because this is not the time. I've got to say to you, your Cockney accent is far better than mine, and I'm from London. <laughs> you've you've crossed the Watford uh, the Watford Rubicon, and uh, I have, haven't I? Yeah, that's back. what it is. That's what it is. So yeah, so they 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 dump off Julian, and all the the gang basically splits and goes off to their various hideouts to leave their money where they leave it. Um, they they kick off Julian again. Um, Dave is still glaring at this, but they have at least got away with it. They have some money. They've got their money in their bags, and we think you know it's like the twenty minute mark now. Jobs are good. And also at this point, I'm thinking if if that was me, I'd, okay, it's not two million, but sixty eight grand in the late nineties. Yeah, and they've got you a pretty swish house in Muswell Hill. I would have thought. <laughs> so, you know. if, if only you'd been on the gang and could have made that point. <laughs> I'd have been pretty happy with that. I will remember that next time I, I do a blag with you. Uh, that <laughs> your price is sixty grand. <laughs> I have to say that if we were planning a criminal endeavour, this podcast would be the safest place ever to announce it. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But obviously, no one listens. Obviously, and in fact, if we well, if we did get caught, they'd have to play it in court, and therefore, you know, we'd get a listening. At least twelve jury members would have to listen to our podcast. <laughs> Almost worth doing for the listenership. <laughs> it is, yeah. Yeah. Oh dear, increasing our listenership by twelve. Um. <laughs> However, um, plan over. They go. They go off for a drink <coughs> in the pub because one of their old associates is out of the nick. Um, uh, Peter uh, Vaughan. Peter Vaughan, and I'd, I'm pretty sure because Peter Vaughan obviously played many roles very well, and he's a great actor, but also memorably played a genial yeah. Harry Grout in Porridge. Porridge it was basically yeah. the, the prison, the prison over, um, master overlord, or whether whoever the, the big criminal who's in charge of everything in the prison is. He that was genial Harry Grout, and he pretty I mean, much overlord. Yeah, and <laughs> and and I get the impression the director just said, "Come out and do your Harry Grout," because he is very <laughs> Harry Grout. Yeah, he's exactly. all like, "Oh come on, mate! I'll just go inside. I'm like, darling, is that?" <laughs> it's uh, it's it's marvelously played, but I don't think it was a stretch for him. <laughs> no, no, I think um, he was. Yeah, he, he probably he, he could have phoned that in, really, yeah. couldn't he? We'll we'll come back to actually why I think he may have been cast. But um, this is Peter Pavmatic, some authentic East End uh, gangsterism to it. Um, he's playing Sonny, who is the uh, the uncle of Jason. Hence, that's how Jason got in with the gang. Um, yeah. uh, and he's got that, so they're all having a drink and kind of seeing their natural environment. It's the uh, the second time we see actually Ray's girlfriend Connie, um, played by Lena Headey. Um, she'd been in an earlier scene when we'd um, been introduced to her. Uh, she comes along here. She is, um, I think, she like, works in social housing. Um, 
she's not in a criminal world, um, so she's raised contact to the outside world. Um, she's certainly a very conscientious person when she's not looking after young kids in the, the sort of the youth hostels. She's on demos to, to protesting. Yeah. She's got boxes of leaflets everywhere. So she definitely has a social conscience. Yeah, and when um, she's not on demos, she's dating an armed robber. Indeed. So definitely has a social conscience. <laughs> Uh, so that she she's witnessing again all the all these uh, these gangsters and it makes her sad. Um, but, uh, but not sad enough to do anything about it. Well, she moans a bit. I suppose she does. Moaning yeah. is caring. Nag. <laughs> Nagging is caring. Nagging is caring. Um, but they, they, they've got. We actually have nothing fun at this point that that Steve is um, technically Ray's housemate. He's more sort of a pet. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, apparently, I would, say, I would say that Ray is his carer. Yeah, they 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 met I think about ten years ago when he lent him a couple of tea bags in the nick and apparently hasn't got rid of him since because all Steve really cares about is having enough science fiction paperbacks to read and looking after Ray and he's like oh it's great this isn't it Ray and there's a scene again all going home in a taxi after the pub when um again basically Connie and Ray are getting to it in the back of the taxi and, and all Steve is talking about is I'm going to Forbidden Plant to get some more books eh <laughs> that'll be a bit good won't it. Um, so all is well. They uh, they uh, they where they have a um, a night in, um, but they're working in the early hours. Um, I'm drawing a veil. They're working in the early hours. Well, by... well there's there's no um, the bounty levels of nudity in face. If there that's is. what our listeners are thinking. No, you you, um, get, you get to see uh, Steve Waddington in his boxer shorts as he goes to bed. That's that's a, a, yeah, fla- you... a flash of knee is the best you'll get. <laughs> any, is, any, you any, any knee fetishists out there? I'm, I'm sure Steve Waddington can do you proud. He's a big fella. He is a big fella, and he, he's got he's got uh, knobbly knees. knees. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, after a after a very um, close on under over, under the duvet lights out night, um, yeah. there is a hammering on the door, and who's at the door? But Dave. Um, Dave's there, isn't bleeding he? from the scalp and in some distress, um, because yeah. his money's been nicked. Yeah. Uh, someone hit him on the head at home. He spark out, and when he wakes up, his money's gone. Um, <laughs> So, so this is no good. I could listen to you all day, dude. <laughs> this is I not going to be the whole the whole episode as as Ray Winston's Dave. <laughs> this is not going to be like uh, Too Late the Hero, where we actually recount minute for minute how long this goes. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so they they um they put two together. We should actually mention earlier we we found out that uh, both uh, Ray and Steve keep their money um. With Bill and Linda, who are an elderly couple, who are kind of like a surrogate grandparents, they're they're all surrogate parents. Yeah. They're a, they're a nice old couple that know that Ray's up something dodgy, but are helping him out. And you know, and he keeps he, he tucks money in their pockets when they need it, and they're very friendly. You know, it's that, it's that kind of arrangement. But in in return, also they stick their their blag, um, in in their airing cupboard. Uh, so, yeah. the, so the police will never find it, basically. So the first place they go to is Bin and Linda's to check all is well. All is not well at all. The door's been smashed in, and poor Bin and Linda have been murdered. Um, they have. Which, again, um, and this clearly means a lot to Ray. I think you know, Robert Carla does a great job. It's quite harrowing when he when he sees Bin and Linda. It's, he's yeah. generally distressing. And it's generally distressing, too. We've, we've seen that. They're quite a... a you know, a they're, an amiable, they're, they're an amiable pair, aren't they're they? They're a pair of pensioners, and, and they've and they we see them they've both been done in um which is not yeah. great uh well you know you mix you mix with the arm the armed robbers of these worlds what do you expect <laughs> so you have a hard line on the pensioners his lungs aren't too clever <laughs> maybe we'll get onto this in the analysis i think we will um but anyway uh <laughs> is this analysis that bill and linda had it coming is this your take on the film <laughs> 
so, uh, so now said, um, three of the five bags of money that got split up and shared amongst the robbers have gone. They've been stolen. Um, so they so don't, obviously, you know what they're thinking, didn't they're you? Thinking it's they're Julie. all thinking Julian. Julie's been up to it. Um, so yeah. uh, so they go to confront Julian. Actually, yeah, I think we, we don't know what was in Robert Carlyle's intent, whether he was going to kill him right away. He's probably going to talk to him. But uh, as they see Julian in the early hours in his own flat, he's, he's cradling his young baby in his hands. Um, yeah. So was he putting a bullet in him right there and is an option? So they have a little chat with Julian. And they ask, do you think you want to check on your money? Uh, to which Julian goes to his lockup and finds that his money's gone too. Being Julian, yeah. he instantly punches Robert Carlyle and threatens him with a shotgun. <laughs> um, not quite putting two together. And if he'd stolen his money, he probably wouldn't show up at his house and say, do you think you ought to check where your money is? <laughs> so after, after a good deal of, of shouting and pointing guns, they all come to the conclusion that they did not steal each other's money. It must be Sonny. Um, Sonny actually was making a few uh, choice comments about, um, oh, I wish I'd been in on that gag. Maybe I've lost my bottle, eh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and things of that ilk. So they come to the conclusion that it's Sonny. Um, so they... We haven't mentioned also that um, Damon Albarn at this point is dead. No, no, because it hasn't happened yet. Is that coming up? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> they go to Sonny's house because Sonny went over with Jay. Spoiler alert! We're going through the entire film, <laughs> and you've just broken that. My big reveal now. Big reveal. <laughs> Sonny and Jason uh, both went home together. They they go into Sonny and Jason's house. Also, there's been signs of a of a, of a break in. He's when dead. They, when they get, he's dead. <laughs> don't, 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 jump, jump straight across the floor, play James. I was. <laughs> David Albon is dead in the couch. I think, and to be honest, I don't, I don't mean the man ill will, but you know, being removed so early does earn an extra floating grumpy head there and then. Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah, he's he's dead, much like his acting career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's. Uh... David Albon. He was. Are, he feel... was terrible. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was not good. Um... But you know, do you, do you know what? in in the film's favour, there was I was I was quite fearful of a moment in the pub when the karaoke machine came out and they go, "Go on, Jason, you give us a song. You're a singer." Yeah. <laughs> we, we luckily dodged boys that. Boys who like girls, who like girls, <laughs> who like boys, who like girls. That was it. Well, that's the lyrics then. We did Famous uncanny, song. uncanny. Um, yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> that's the lyrics to Wonderwall, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, the um. We dodged that bullet, unlike Jason, who is dead on the sofa, um, and and Sonny is nowhere to be found. So they yeah. come to the conclusion that, that Sonny really has taken all their money. Um, but before they can formulate a plan, um, <laughs> the uh, the Cossers are outside. They are, they are, the, they? the, the police, pigs. They're, they're giving every face in London a spin. Uh, so the, uh, the narcs. <laughs> uh, police are outside, and the gang has to flee. I will point out, as is a perennial observation of mine this came exactly on the one hour point just when you need something a bit this need a bit of adrenaline to pump you up a very, everything <coughs> immediately kicks yeah, off okay. so yeah. The, the, yeah the gang split up um so uh, ray and steve um who are a bit clever and play it cool and just pretend to be two blokes walking down an alley get overlooked mm. by the police dave and julian who are on the less calm side of the gang immediately <laughs> I'd, rip I'd, out suggest, their I'd suggest um Dave and Julian are a little bit volatile. They are, and they immediately see the police whip out shotguns and pistols and open a gunfight in a suburban <laughs> London street. Um, to which we have the action sequence then. We have, um, again, Ray and Dave making their escape uh, with tension, and then uh, Julian and, and uh, Dave blasting away at half of London's armed police. And uh, they manage to eventually escape um, to the beats of a music soundtrack with vans blowing up everywhere, and chaos has ensued, but everyone's got away. Somehow. Somehow, somehow everyone's got away. I think you know, there's, there's, it's, it's utter chaos. <laughs> it is. Utter chaos. 
Uh, yeah, you can, you can look over the the, yeah, the reality of how they would actually escape, but they uh, they run very fast, and there's an explosion in the background. I think that's film shorthand for made it way clean. Yeah, I mean, if this was real life, which obviously it isn't, I'm gonna get it, it would have it's not it would have ended up in some kind of Raoul Moat standoff, <laughs> and Paul Gascoigne would have turned up with a chicken and a fishing rod. Now, hang on, was that real life? <laughs> That sounds like it should be in a film like Face as well. That sounds less realistic than the film Face. It does actually. Yeah, yeah. You come to think of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you will point out, yeah, the, 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 the film gun. Basically, yeah, Julian is constantly wielding a shotgun, which must be a very special weapon because he fires it three times at a police car and it blows up. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, it's the exploding police car that then hits another car and that blows up, um, in the case of dominoes. And it's that big explosion that allows the, the two to make their getaway. Um, but yeah, that notwithstanding, it's all been quite realistic so far. They've kind of been basically dodging out the police and, uh, and doing their best to get away. Uh, we're assuming no one can shoot very well in this, this, this situation. Yeah. Uh, although they're, the, they're about three yards from each other. Yeah. The, 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 the car windows take a bit of a pounding. They, the car windows are being blown out everywhere, but no human beings were hurt in this shootout. However, um, that, that, that enough. The gang split up. This is the moment when... when uh, Ray then goes to see um, his mother and Connie, who are both at a protest. Ray's mum has been alluded to earlier. Um, then they were sort of in the car before the the, the blag, uh, joking with Ray about how he used to be a communist and he used to go on all the demos and the protesting. And mm. his mother still doesn't, so does Connie. Um, his mother, played by Sue Johnson. Sue Johnson. Sue Johnson. Yeah. One yeah. scene only for Sue Johnson, and I will say she does an awful lot with that one scene. She does, yeah. Um, now, now uh, I should know this, but Sue Johnson, I know her. Yeah. Very familiar. She first became famous in Brookside, and then the royal family was the. Oh the next yes, again, yes, that's it. The royal family, yeah. where I know from. Yeah, of course. Yeah, does does a lot of work, and again, there's um, basically Ray has come to basically I need some money and a car, um, so I can sort my sort things out. Yeah. Uh, she does know that he's into armed robbery and is kind of disappointed in him generally. Um, but kind of as you would be, as you would be, but kind of if you yeah. if you're a socially conscious demonstrator fighting for the rights of. The Kurds, for yes. example, um, you'd be pretty annoyed if your son was an armed robber. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> wouldn't you? But be, being a good mum, she gives him a hug and her keys anyway. Um, yeah. But, big, but I will say, was, yeah, I will say to, yeah, to jump in quickly in the analysis, I thought that this scene was very well played because Ray has been pretty stoic through everything. You know, he's seen dead bodies for the first time. Yeah. He's 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 had his money stolen, even when he's doing the armed robbery and everything, and he's kept a pretty straight face. And in front of his mum, he does become a little boy. It's it's really quite a transformation. He's going, it's, 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 look, I need a car, mum. It's really very important, and I've just got to get away. And he, she kind of just tells him off. Yeah, she straightens his collar and, and tells him, look, you've disappointed yourself, not me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a very good scene. Um, Almost under it's interesting again. We'll come to the to to how this works. But then after this scene, he immediately then goes off with Connie, and almost has a, a lesser repeat of it. Where he just says, "Look, I've got to go away. Will you come with me?" And she says, "I don't want to be on the run forever." And there's that kind of, "Will you meet me at the, at the service station at midnight if you want to come with me? If not, you'll never see me again, and I'll be heartbroken." Um, so that's the, the romance bit taken care of. Uh, Ray then does some investigating and then meets up with the gang later on in the day um, when he's gathered an interesting bit of evidence that was uh, the person who took Sonny and Jason home was not a cab. It was, in fact, Dave. Um, Indeed. And in fact, what so it? it was Dave who killed Jason and Dave killed Sonny. Sonny was not on the run. Sonny was... Um, dead in his bed and it was Dave who had gone into the bedroom to check and said Sonny's not there and so he's he... dead in his bed Cockney rhyming slang for something it's, it's, it's Cockney rhyming slang for being dead in your bed 
it's 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 one of the more basic and, and transparent ones. But yeah. yeah, if you say he's dead in his bed, um, it probably means you've murdered <coughs> him and you've left him in his bed. Yeah, nothing as well. Yeah. So it was it was Dave that killed uh, Sonny and Jason. He says the um the 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 trigger for this was that he um. He couldn't bear the fact that um, that Julian had been left to go with his share of the money after he tried to rob them. Although we later learn um, through further interrogation that in fact he uh, owes a policeman who's actually dating his daughter. We've seen him earlier. We thought it was just a ne'er do well who was um, dating uh, Dave's daughter, Chris. Um, but in fact, he was—he's a policeman who's been blackmailing. Um, he's Dave. a bank copper. He's a bank copper. At the same time, he's been feeding him information about where he can steal things. He's also yeah. been shaking him down for all the money, and says if he gives him five hundred grand, he'll be off his back for the rest of his life. Um, yeah. Hence, and it's one of those—it's one of those—it's one of those moments where you think because this Chris character, throughout the film, in the yeah. snippets that he's in, yeah. he's obviously with Dave's daughter. Yeah. Whenever they're together. He's making some snidey comment to Dave about his daughter. All right, Dave, don't worry about your daughter. She'll be all right, won't she? Won't she, Dave? You just relax. I'm thinking to myself, Dave's a nutcase. (laughs) They've taken this. You know, if I was Dave, I'd be be beating him to a pulp. That's that's how angry I'd be. (laughs) He'd be be dead in his bed, wouldn't he? He'd be dead in his bed, yeah. He would be. He'd be dead in his bed. No, Dave, don't worry about your daughter. There's nothing to worry about. Is there, Dave? Is there? Wink, wink. Don't worry <laughs> about us. And there's me sitting here thinking, Dave, what are you doing? Yeah, I will say Chris is not played sympathetically here. But so, uh, yeah, so basically we... Um, <coughs> so, yeah, Dave had gone... He'd followed Julian to his lockup, stolen his money. He'd taken Sonny and Jason home, killed them and stolen their money. He'd gone to Bill and Linda's, been surprised by Bill. Hence, Bill hit him over the head, and that's where the injury came from, and then murdered Bill and Linda to cover it. In many uh, so, ways, Dave is in fact a serial killer. He is, and you know what? I'm not entirely buying his uh, his murder of necessity uh, because <laughs> he'd murdered Sonny and Jason first, and then yeah. gone on to Bill and Linda's. If, I, if my chronology is right, so it wasn't like Bill and Linda surprised me and I reacted. It was like I'd, I'd done a couple already. A few under his belt. Yeah, yeah, I'd got a taste for it. <laughs> it, it um, and I will say, yeah. Um, it's it's shot within a dark alley at this point, so you basically hear a lot of, of kicking and squelching and Dave choking on his own blood. So it's it's quite it's pretty less pleasant than to see because if you could see, you could just tell it was makeup. But you all you hear are these burbles and I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, boys. Um, yeah. I didn't mean to do it. Um, so, Look at what am I gonna do? She's got my daughter. What am I gonna do? Gurgling blood up everywhere. Yeah. Um, so he's he's already given all the money to Chris. Uh, so next on the visit is Chris. Um, so the gang basically burst in, uh, dragging Dave behind them, who's still kind of their prisoner, making Chris their prisoner too. Um, and Chris, is, Chris, though he is immediately punched, knocked on the floor, and has a shotgun in his face, is remarkably um, arrogant and, and, and quite is, yeah. and quite he's, he's he's facing down the battle of a gun and still saying what idiots they are and, and how clever he is and and how he's going to win because he's a policeman. Yeah. Um, it does not go well for Chris because he, no. in the middle of his speech about um, how how he's a genius and he's got all this money, um, Dave finds that he's been giving his daughter cocaine, completely loses it, and manages to strangle Chris to death before anyone can stop him. Um, it was a bad tactical decision by Chris to be so arrogant. Yeah, yeah, it was probably a bad tactical decision by the gang to allow Dave that much liberty that he, he is able to strangle their only prisoner. <laughs> yeah, there. that's true. Um, yeah. As, as they do mention, you're not doing us any favours today, are you, Dave? <laughs> Uh, so, but they do. At least they know um, Chris is where Chris keeps the money. He's put it in the police station, which is more secure than a pensioner's attic. Um, 
Yeah, not the ball though harder to get to. That's true. Than, than you would you would imagine. Yes. Uh, so given what happens in the police station. <laughs> yes. We'll that. So um, once that's done, it's now clear that Dave has outlived his usefulness too. So uh, hold the gang leave. Um, what's left of the gang is now Julian, Steve, uh, and Ray. Um, Ray remains to to end it with with Dave. They have a little conversation. Dave has now been the subject of at least three beatings so far. So his he's, he's face is just a, a mask of blood. Um, it's like drowning on his own blood, he isn't is. it? And, and true to the film's name, it's it's a clearly close upon both their faces as they have their, their last conversation. And yeah. um, it's basically, again, to, to coin a phrase, you're probably, um, Ray, uh, Dave is quite pathetic at this point. He, 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 is, yeah. he makes no apology. He just says, I did it because I'm me, you're you. Ray is a little bit kind of like, you know, I thought you were old for him. There's lots of talk about you used to be staunch uh, and uh, and this kind of stuff, and it doesn't exist anymore. But he expected, uh, you know, Dave to be a stand-up guy, and he's not, and he gets shot, and that's that. That is actually indicated to be um, the first murder Ray's ever done. Um, yeah, this is a socially conscious armed robber and murderer, Ray, who <laughs> shoots Dave in his face just after his daughter's left the house. I will actually say that, yeah... <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's a sympathetic character right there. I will but say, you, know, yeah. you know what, though? He cares about the Kurds. <laughs> no, I mean, he, he cares about this girlfriend who cares about the Kurds. Yeah, that's true. By, yeah, by, by, really but he's, he's one degree away from caring about the Kurds. That's yeah. not bad. Socialist um, armed robber and murderer, <laughs> Ray. <laughs> I will say that, again, having now described these scenes, they're quite full on and quite brutal. You do see, you know, Chris's face going purple as he gets murdered. It gets yeah, you do, yeah. The, the couple of things that lever this are one thing is Julian. Julian is constantly just standing there making snide comments about the he's, whole yeah. scene. He's like, he's like, he's quips. Yeah, quips. it's like, oh, he's, go, he's going purple, right? He ain't going to lose as long as he. Whoa. <laughs> this don't look good for Chris. Yeah, and um, and then at the very end, when uh, when Dave is, is facing his final judgment, Steve is just cheerily calling, saying, see you later, Dave. We'll get her off safe for you. All right, then. Bye, Chris. Take care. <laughs> So actually, the two accomplices are actually great foils to um, Robert Carlyle's Ray's very intense character. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. But now the, the the gang reduced to three have their their final blag to make, which is to break into the police station and get their money back. So this is again third act, third third um, moment of of crime. Um, so their their plan is. Steve initially initially goes up to the police desk and pretends to be someone whose car's been stolen. Meanwhile, yeah. Ray, in his already established guise as a detective, um, plainclothes detective, is going to drag in um, Julian, saying he caught a flasher, which is probably the, the best, Julian's the best candidate to be as some kind of pervert <laughs> off the street. Um, however, uh, it goes well in the sense of the, the police desk sergeant opens the door to let them in. Basically, let's cut a flasher, let me in, put him in the cells. However, the police sergeant or the police desk sergeant is unwise enough to say he looks like a nonce, doesn't he? At which point, Julian forgets the plan and beats up this, the police sergeant into unconsciousness before he can tell them where the locker rooms are. Oh, dear. Um, to which Julian me replies, you what he called me? <laughs> really not understanding the idea of a disguise. <laughs> so the three now are sneaking around the police station. Um hoping not to be noticed and trying to find the locker rooms. To which they do, they find an absolutely enormous room full of lockers. Yes, yeah, it, be... it's the very definition of the term locker room. Indeed, it's a room full of lockers. Um, and they have to break into each and every one of them. So the gang gets to work with their crowbars and jimmies and starts to, to just break into all the lockers. Julian's stealing things on the way, which is a perfect touch for him. <laughs> he first a bottle of champagne and says, oh, I'll have that, Marcel. <laughs> Shan will love this. <laughs> However, they get the money. Hooray. They've got the bags of money. All is well. They're on their way out when all of a sudden Julian decides um, to uh, 
to come into his own character and hold the other two at gunpoint and steal all the money for himself. Yeah. Uh, at which point, once he's crowded them back into the room, the alarms go off because they've obviously left an unconscious police sergeant by the desk. And Julian fires off his shotgun, he kills a bystander, wounds Steve, and, and legs it. Um, this is probably the best thing that could happen to, to Steve and Ray, because the sight of Julian running amok in the police station with a shotgun is the perfect distraction for the two of them to just slip away unnoticed. Yeah. Um, in fact, they get, they it's get quite a shootout as well that Julian gets himself involved with. He is, but by the end of it, he's literally in the middle of the police station, surrounded by all his money, uh, symbolically, as a, something like 20 or 30 armed police are firing at him and lobbing grenades into the room. Yeah. He's under like a table or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah gathering the money as it falls out of the bag. Yeah, he seems like, most put out it, the, yeah, the, the bullets are stri- the bullets yeah. are striking the money, which he seems most put out by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, I think we can come to the conclusion that Julian has lost it by this point. I kind uh, of got that conclusion pretty much from the start. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and anyway, his fate is never known. Um, I like to think he was taken prisoner because uh, you know those those um, rather than shot to pieces because yeah. uh, he, he's a he's a great character. <laughs> I, I want uh, yeah. I, I'd like to watch a film about him. Yeah, um, the adventures of that... Julian would have been a great sequel. Oh, would be, yeah. <laughs> don't call me Julie. You know I don't like that. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's the title of the film. Don't call me Julie. However, so we're now, now reduced down to a wounded Steve and Ray without any money, and pretty much their only their only way to the conclusion of the film is just to get out and not get caught. Having left a bloodbath in their wake, they drive off to uh, to an M1 service station, hopefully to meet up with Connie. Um, May I say it's the Leicester East service station on the M1, a service station that I've visited on many occasions. Could you recommend it? Um, it's no, it's no Cherwell Valley. Oh. So off, off they go. They, um, uh, so the Ray then gets out to have a look around for Connie. He wanders around the service station, which is, I think, for 4am doing a brisk trade, um, but comes That's back enough. and and finds that his car is empty. Steve is gone, um, which yeah. um, breaks his heart. It's like he's lost his favourite puppy. Um, police are there as well, aren't they? The police are there, prowling the area, giving their eye out for narcs. Um, yeah. And just as Ray thinks he's about to get caught and all is up, Connie opens the door to her car, calls him over. The police assume he's a perfectly normal man being called over by his girlfriend. Um, and he gets in the car and Steve's there as well. Steve got out and found Connie first. So the three united. Ray then breaks down, saying he was so worried about you, Steve. I thought you'd gone. Um, and... Resolves to become a better man as he drives away with Connie and Steve into, I wouldn't say the sunset, into uh, the M1 in pitch darkness. <laughs> into the East Midlands. Into and, the, the final Britpop soundtrack that plays. I would I would say that during this denouement at the uh, service day, station, Ray is walking around looking for Connie, covered in blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't he, seem to be that he, bothered. No, he, well, I imagine the service station staff have seen it all in, uh, in Leicester exactly. East. Um, it's like a night bus, isn't it? Yeah. He does have the presence of mind when he walks outside by the police and did button his coat up, I saw that. Although <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I also noticed that the, uh, the, the, um, the billboards were on Ray's side because as he walks around and can't find Steve, the billboard right behind him has just these big white letters that say missing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I find that one of many prescient things in the general atmosphere of the film that, that foreshadow things, or at least comment on them. Yes, yeah. There's there's another there's another piece of kind of um, uh, background uh, art or commentary which I'll comment on in the uh, analysis, which yeah. which made me laugh as well. But thus concludes the, the film of Face. Yeah. Um, I've well. got it through in brisk time. Not quite four minutes, so if we were robbing a, a money-counting centre, we'd be long caught by now, but at least the uh, the staff we were holding hostage would have an entertaining 20 minutes of us talking to each other. 
Well, let's not go. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. And say it's entertaining. It's been twenty minutes. <laughs> it's been twenty minutes. Yes, it's been. Um, we could have we could have robbed five money counting centres in this time, but I think we've used our time more wisely. I think we have. Yes. Join us for some analysis. Ooh. Welcome back, uh, dear listener. So, um, Face was the film. Um, it was Hugh's choice for January. Um, not not a Christmas film. Um, blessed relief. Well, uh, uh, sorry, Au Contraire, it's set in Christmas. It, it is set at Christmas, yes. Yeah, there's Christmas trees and Christmas decorations. That's true, but I wouldn't say that the driving force of the film is Christmas-related. I would agree. Yeah. Um, so, Hugh, Face, it, interesting choice. Tell us, tell us what made you... Um, want to watch Face as part of Weekend at Cromit. <laughs> right. Uh, it's a film I remember, uh, again, from my youth. Um, I watched it when it came out. I remembered it fondly then, saw it a couple of times then. So that was the, the impression I had of it. I wanted to revisit that film and see, again, whether or not it held up and, and mm. that kind of business. The reason I chose this film, because we hadn't really done this kind of genre, the, the sort of the British gangster movie had not no, been covered haven't. yet. And no. of those, this is the one I felt would be more interesting. Again, they, certainly around this time, there was a bit of a a glut of them. You still had Gangster Number One. You had Lock Stock. Yeah. You had On Lay a Cake. Bay, Layer Cake. Um, yeah. So yeah, a... Gangster Number One. Yeah, that's a. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a cracking film. That is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't pick that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a Weekend at Grumby's film. Though. I think that's no. that's perhaps more well known. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was. It's so successful. It's it's so ill known. Um, I, every time I look for it, I find Face Off or just something yeah. else called Face. Yeah. So it's it's clean. It's clearly been forgotten. But I thought they had something at least worth taking a second look at, um, and yeah, of, of that, um, of the the, the, ga- the gamut of gangster films, I was I was interested to revisit this one because I thought, if I remembered it correctly, yeah, there was something else going on beyond the the surface, and I certainly remembered the performances, which I think alone make it worth a, a rewatch. Were you were you interested in the kind of gangster flick when you were um, in the nineties? Well, how old would you have been? I would have been 40, in my late teens. <laughs> Even the oh, my awesome suppose gangster films are always interesting to to teenagers, aren't they? It was it was the guns basically. I mean, the yeah. thing I remembered most about this film was the the one hour shootout. I remember that happened, and basically any film like that, I'd basically not be I'd be mentally fast forwarding to the bits where they shoot each other. Um, yeah, yeah, be that a cowboy film, a gangster film, or even Too Late the Hero. I just <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd just be going on until the, the action sequences. Now, of course, it's the reverse. I'm more interested in the bits that happen between the action sequences. Um, But that's... Come on. That's (laughs) not true, is it? I like it when they get their shooters out. (laughs) Without further ado, I basically picked it because I wanted to revisit a a gangster movie, and I think this one was worth having a look. So let's take a look at it. And it's it's also got some of those... um, It's kind of iconic 90s British actors. This is the thing. It was was Robert Carlyle on the app. It was was around train spotting. It was certainly his, his first... His break into... Hollywood movies. Oh, uh, definitely. It would have been after the full Monty. Yeah. Um, before it, I think it was. I think it was around. Yeah, either just before, or just after Train Spotting. Yeah. Yeah. He was. He was again one of the rising stars of of that kind of nineties Brit flick. Ray Winston also was about to hit Hollywood and kind of do those kind of roles. Yeah. Again, strong supporting cast. Lena Headley was probably another ten years off making it big, but eventually did so. Uh, yes, that's true. So it, it was a lot. Again, there was a lot. Of, again, the, I thought there was. Game was well directed. There was there was a lot, lot to say in it. It was basically a BBC film, which again, when BBC were trying to get into the cinema business, it was kind of half let's mm. put it on telly, half let's put it in the cinema and see where it goes. So it has that mm. feel to it a little bit. Um, it is a one hour forty minutes, so I, I, I approve of its brevity. Um, that's very yeah. good. Yeah, but 
Yeah, but um, so we're just digging into this. Let's look at some of the yeah. characterizations. Um, I think you know, Robert Carlyle gave a very strong central performance. Uh, he had to kind of be sterical, and but I think he's he breaks down at the appropriate moments again when he finds Bill and Linda dead, when he's confronted by his mum. He he does let his guard drop a bit, and I like that. I like that. That's the um, that's the basis of quality acting for you there, Hugh. He breaks down at the right moments when Bill and Linda have been murdered, when he meets his mum. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you would break down then. Okay, he he, he convincingly breaks down. He does. <laughs> It'd be funny if he broke down. I don't know whilst he was um, in bed with his girlfriend. <laughs> Just weeping by the bedside. Nominee for best Oscar for uh, best male performance, 1997, is Robert Carlyle for breaking down at the right moments. I will go further. Um, yeah. uh, as, as I said, this, there's also some nice character touches. Again, speaking of having, um, being with his girlfriend, after he's been um, dragged into bed with his girlfriend the first time, and he's we basically she she drags him over saying I'm going to have you, and then we cut to him driving home with a big old smile on his face. Yeah. So you, yeah. you can fill in the blanks. But then we we flash back. There's a couple of mental flashbacks. The first one he flashes back to an earlier moment in his life when he'd beaten up the drug dealer and left him with nothing, and his smile just fades, and you realise Ray's a character who was only briefly capable of happiness because he's so disgusted with what he does in his own life similarly and that that that, uh, that drug user yeah at, at the start is played by jerry conlon oh. of the uh, guildford four the actual guildford four yeah 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 so his yeah. So, so his line was saying i've got a bit of experience with the old bill and they usually don't come on this strong yeah. it's quite ironic it is i think that's <laughs> deliberate <laughs> i thought i recognized the name yeah, that's, that's who it is, yeah. Mad, isn't it? That is quite mad. Um, things you didn't know. There you go. <laughs> so there was, there was that moment. Similarly, um, during the, the, again, the big moment in the, um, the the big robbery scene, though you have, again, moments of excitement when they're firing their guns in the air and grabbing the money, a lot of the, the action is focused on Robert Carlyle. He's based in charge of crowd control and rounding up the, the, the people and keeping gunpoint is just him staring into the terrified eyes of the people he's traumatising yeah, and yeah. being aware of it. And again, he flashes back to that later on as well. Um, so he's, he's clearly someone who is troubled by what he does, and it, and I think that gets across very well at the appropriate moments. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Well, again, it would have been inappropriate um, just randomly walking down the streets <laughs> and chanting to people. Um, I thought <clears throat> I thought that the, um, the, the, the main heist sequence was very well put together very well choreographed and actually there's a real the, the couple of things that i quite liked about the, the the film was when it needed to um it became very dark and aggressive yeah. but not in a kind of not in a not in a comedic kind of way but in a very um it, it felt real so the the heist sequence is actually quite a quite a shocking sequence because you you get the sense that there's real danger yeah. um, in that. You know, someone could get shot. Um, and the same thing at the start um, with the, with Jerry Condon in, in, in it's actually it's 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 quite a strong scene because there's danger there. You're not quite sure. There's unpredictability. Yeah. The characters are unpredictable enough that you don't quite know how it's going to go. Yeah, I'd, so I'd, that, I'd that, that's, the, yeah. that's well done. And that's the same thing with the with the you know the the shotgun sequences that in the hour mark and the police station at the end. It's all those scenes are well choreographed. I think. Yeah, I'd actually um, yeah, a couple of points on the the the, the direction of this. 
firstly, yeah, they're the right with the heist. There are, you know, other what you call bank heist film, bank heist scenes, say like Point Break, where it's played very charismatically. And yeah, very yeah, cool. The, the, the yeah. Gangs, yeah, very cool. The gangsters are leaping over things and they're, and they're firing their guns and they're just yeah. awesome. Here, it's it's one of the few moments when the soundtrack turns off. We'll come to the soundtrack later on, but it's actually yeah. played in silence. And all you have is just sort of people breathing heavily, stuffing money in bags. And yeah. every every minute, Ray will just shout out, three minutes left, two minutes left, let's go. It's and, very un, it's very unglamorous, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, and because I remember I remember watching that as a teenager, hoping for a really exciting Point Break scene. And all I'm thinking is, he's just hurding people. Where's the excitement? And now you watch yeah. it again, you're thinking, because you tend to associate with the people he's now hurting, you're thinking, yeah. that would be horrible if you know, yeah. four masked men burst in with guns and then just push you around like cattle whilst whilst they grab all the money i mean the best thing i can say about that particular scene is that i would imagine that that might be somewhere near what being involved in a uh, um, an armed robbery might be like hmm. you know being that kind of intensity and that kind of um, the unglamorousness of it i think yeah. was uh, yeah it was yeah. quite heart thumping i suppose yeah and again we'll come to the again the one hour mark when they have their big shootout yeah uh Again, I, I liked watching it um, back in the day. I enjoyed watching it again. I Now I've seen sort of how... <laughs> this is my criticism of modern-day action sequences again, but, mo- you know, modern-day action sequences, say, um, Taken or The Bourne or whatever, is shot mm-hmm. on, like, 12 cameras with very, very quick, sharp cuts. Yeah, it becomes yeah. confusing. We talked about this before we, when we looked yeah. at Darker Man. Um, yeah. This was actually a very well-played-out choreography scene when sort of Dave and, and Ray, or Dave and Julian, are having their shootout. For example, they're always on the right of the screen shooting down the screen, whereas the police are always on the left shooting up. So when, when it cuts back and forth, you are quite easily able to tell where everyone is because they're actually running yeah. up, the, up the street trying to get away. You're able to place people, even though you're having a fairly close-up shot of just two guys firing guns, the geography immediately places itself with you. And you know when, when guns are fired, windows explode, so you have consequence and action playing yeah. out as well. And you're, I was never left wondering what is going on because I could quite easily track the action even though they're cutting back and forth between two different groups escaping in two different locations and you know the police now coming being a third group it's quite easy to track the whole thing I thought even though that's kind of a given for what a good action scene should do it's not automatically done totally agree with you the the um, all of the action sequences, all of the set pieces in it are uncluttered. Yeah. Um, so absolutely right. You know, throughout throughout the time series when it's going on, you get a sense of um, action, reaction, consequence, decisions, and geography. And I think that's you know that sounds really simple. It sounds yeah. it doesn't sound very exciting, but actually, an action sequence just needs to do things in a simple way so that you can put yourself in it. Yeah. And I, you know, completely agree that, that a lot of a lot of not all, but a lot of modern action scenes are too quickly edited. You get lost and it's confusing, and then it loses its impact totally. Yeah, because you basically just tune out until something else interesting yeah, happens. Yeah, it, it, it's almost like anything can happen, so it doesn't matter. Yes, yeah, not not interesting as in you 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 don't care because it's it's too fast for you, but it's you 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 know you can't track it, so you wait until a moment comes that you can track, um, yeah, exactly. which we can, and you you lose the interest of it. But so that's well done. I think that's very good. Yeah, um, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. Um, continuing with the casting, again, very strong. We've talked about Phil Davis. I don't think we could talk enough about Phil Davis. He just plays such a great scenery-cheering secondary character yeah. in Julian. Um, and again, it's it's great to have him leavening the moments that need to be leavened. Yeah. I've got to say, Phil, Phil Davis has gone up in my estimation hugely since um, you know watching The Bounty and Now Face as well, yeah. because um, his, his performance in The Bounty was... He had a really minor role in it, yeah. but he 
he was incredibly sinister for what for what the role was he 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 took it to a different level it was you know it, it didn't need to go to that level but it was really well done yeah. and in face as well he is chewing every scene and he owns the camera in 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 face he, for me he is by far the best thing about the film yeah. his character his acting his over the topness but it's I mean, it's proper acting as well, you know. It's, he, he just he plays an absurd character. Yeah, he's not he's not just yes yeah, spinning around like Jim Carrey. He's he's playing no. an absurd character accurately. And again, the fact I they gave so. him again a, a, a girlfriend or a wife that he is apparently very committed to, and it's actually given quite good relationship advice on how to be a good partner. Um, well, this is the contradiction in a lot of the kind of what I think Antonio Bird is actually trying to t- tell us in, yeah. in in face the contradiction of criminals in many ways is that they have a they have a, a an odd moral compass yeah. where they're loyal and um i'm saying they i mean generalizing but the the, the, the criminals in this film anyway yeah. have a loyalty and a sense of duty but are armed rod, robbers and murderers yes. you know there's a contradiction there yeah julian yeah. julian we get no inclination that he wouldn't hesitate to kill someone and probably has already yeah um, on the other hand he's cradling his young child to get him to sleep and is saying the most important thing you do in a relationship is be kind um with yeah. all sincerity it's not as in you'll fool people it's a sense of you know relationship is all about kindness that's what you need and yeah. and it's he quite happily sits within those two contradictions and ray does it as well when you know he he's 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 um, you know, relationship with Connie is um, about um, you know helping those m- more in need. His relationship um, with um, Steve Waddington character. What's the guy's name again? His name's Steve. Steve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ray's Ray's Dave. <laughs> Robert yeah, is Ray. Yeah. Steve is Steve. He's um his relationship with Steve is very um, brotherly as well. You know, and he, he, there's a loyalty there. Um, and the fact that he goes to the pub, um, you know, to to witness. Um, Peter um, Peter Vaughan, yeah. you know Peter Vaughan's character coming out of prison. There's a loyalty there. It's that kind of criminal code almost, isn't it? You yeah. know, it's it's the um, it's the uh, Omar from The Wire. You know, you, yeah. you've got to play the game, haven't you? you know? Well, again, back in the pub, once he gives um, Jason his his um, his swag, um, the first thing he does is try and talk him out of the life. He's yeah. saying, you know, I, yeah. I've I've done this for ten years and I could make more money driving a cab with that. Yeah. So it's um. He tries to tell Jason, yeah, the, the life is, is is worthless. On the other hand, he clearly believes that there is what they call staunch, um, indeed being a face. They make they make this on the trailer. The uh, that face is uh, both a criminal and the, you know the um, the front you put up. Uh, yeah, on, on a yeah. reputation. There's both both these things are face. I think that's where the name comes from. Yeah. Uh, Again, to, to come to Steve, I think even though obviously the character isn't terribly complex, I think Steve Waddington, who by this point had done. Um, Last of the Mohicans and was going to go on to do Ivanhoe, yeah. so who's clearly a leading actor as well. To have again a minor role, um, he plays that very well too. He plays it as as guileless but not irritating. I'd say um, he's he again he had some nice moments of comedy. The fact that um, as they're driving around initially, they're hearing on the radio that there's a competition to win um, win money if you guess the the name of the song the radio is playing. Um, yeah. And about halfway through when all their money's been stolen, it turns out he was guessing the right song after all. And he goes, oh, we could have ended that. Could have won a bit of money. That'd be handy now, wouldn't it? <laughs> he doesn't even seem to care that he's lost 60 grand. He's just yeah. more, let's go, let's go off and do this thing. This is fun, isn't it? As long as I'm with uh, with Ray, he'll take care of me, won't he? He's a, he's a simpleton, but he's got a heart of gold, hasn't he? That's Sweet, what it is. isn't that? Yeah. I always get him confused with Sean Bean. That's, I think, my problem a little bit, because I think he looks a bit like him, but I don't, he you know. He's, 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 a, sure. he's a beefier Sean Bean. Yeah, he is. I have to. Um, this is. This. There might be some um, 
bones of contention in our okay. uh, discussion of the film as well. Because there's one thing that I think from 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 me, and you know, don't hate me for this, Hugh, okay. but I actually don't think that Robert Carlyle was particularly effective in the role. Oh, no, I don't. And I, I think he was very wishy-washy, yeah. um, and I didn't. I know you, you described him stoic. Um, I found him quite flat. Dare I say, uh, a little bit pathetic. Uh. <laughs> Actually, he's, he's not pathetic. He, but he's. I, I, I didn't. First of all, his accent is it, it wavers. Yeah. I, there's a lot of Scottish in his Cockney, yeah. which I, I kind of took me out of the moment quite a lot of the time as well. Um, I don't think I actually I don't think that Robert Carlyle is a particularly great leading man either. Not not just in this film, but generally. Um, now I think that he has had some highs. You know, Begbie being probably one of them in Train Spotting, and that's remembered a lot. Yeah. But I think he's very forgettable in this film okay. and doesn't doesn't lend that kind of lead role, which is complex, or or I should say, which I think Antonio Bird, the director, wants to be complex but actually comes across as just very contra- um, very hypocritical um, and I didn't I didn't really get that from him um, Ray Winston as good as he is is just playing himself yeah. uh, in an extreme form I guess really yeah. um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Ray Winston is an he's, arm he's, playing, he's, he's playing his archetype He's playing his archetype, yeah, and he could probably do that in his sleep. You know, he doesn't have to put on an accent. You know, he doesn't have to do anything particularly different. And it's what's made his name, so fair play to him. Yeah. Um, you know, he acts it well enough, but it's nothing special in that regard. Um, Steve, Steve wanted that I found, I found a little bit irritating <laughs> in, his, in his continued simplicity, because there's a lot of kind of grittiness to the film. Yeah. And there's a lot of kind of, um, uh, kind of I don't know, uh, Pre pre gentrification London in the film as well, which, yeah. which I was quite enjoy yeah. watching. And Steve's character of being the, the, the simpleton with the heart of gold feels a bit it feels a bit out of place. Okay. He's like a comedy character, yeah. um, which is which is difficult to balance in the film. Phil Davis though is he's the shining light for me in the film. He is the he is the um, he's he's the he's the he's the point. He's the fulcrum with which. I continued to enjoy the film when there wasn't much else in it going yeah. on. I thought. Okay. Would you say he was the Mr. Pink version of this? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. That's yeah. True. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. The uh, the, the cynical, slightly off-panned, not terribly involved in the, the outcome, but just yeah. wants to get to the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, I think again, mileage may vary in terms of of how you take the characters. Um. But I, I wouldn't disagree that, that yeah, Phil Davis is the, 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 the beacon of this. To hit some of the lesser characters, I mentioned already Sue Johnson, I think, did again, yes, had one yes. scene and did a great uh, job with it. I do wonder, just in terms of the thematic thing, whether the lines were blurred between her and Connie, not in a sex way, but just because... No, no, I know what you mean, yeah. He, yeah. Is, a, Connie is sort of... She, you know, was trying to be his conscience, but really the moment of conscience seems to hit hardest when he talks to Sue Johnson. But of course, yeah. Connie's the one, almost the redeeming aspect where she goes away with him, and then he's, he has a chance of redemption. And I was wondered again if they, if there was a more elegant narrative solution for how to get through that. Um, Perhaps, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. I, I found that um, she's um, uh, his mum is a cipher a little bit. She represents. Yeah. Um, the kind of the the challenge in his head yeah. uh, about the two lives, I suppose, the two worlds that he's straddling. I guess really, Connie is the manifestation of that yeah. um, in 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 a kind of physical corporeal 
way whereas um his mum is a m- much more of a kind of like a she, she, i think she's a metaphor really yeah about what he stands for what he stood for at least and what yeah. he's become as a consequence of that yeah um it was a get... bit, i think it's a little bit um on the nose well do, do you know what I, mean? I think it, 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 it's not very subtle to be honest that i thought was okay um again yeah. the, the fact that they well first thing we'll come to the politics of the thing but yeah. the fact that she was a, she was a communist and the the, the film had had made no bones about its left leanings is one yeah. thing the character i thought who did think was on the nose was chris i thought chris was very flatly played yeah. um they, basically he's, he's either the sleazy boyfriend and then when they catch him he instead of acting like any sort of normal person who was a bent copper either he's trying to negotiate or something like that he just lies there with a gun in his face and decides to deliver a um kind of a philosophy about the, the nature of, as well yeah. a smarmy philosophy about the nature of money and public services yeah. which yeah. did not seem the natural or thing to again if he had been a copper who they'd caught and he ends up you know sitting in the chair thinking i'm smart enough to negotiate my way out of this and i can beat mm. these guys and then you know, Dave goes mad and strangles him because he finds drugs with his daughter. That yeah. I would have felt more natural. The fact yeah. that he's lying on his back and then chooses to deliver the message of the film. Um, yeah, at that point, I think yeah. that's the, that's a real that's the that's the real crux of it. Yeah, in in in, in with a different script or maybe in a in the hands of a different director, perhaps his character would have had that um, kind of monologue earlier on. Yeah, yeah, and and his character would have been built up a bit more because he's not he's not in it at all. No, I can, I can I can appreciate the narrative surprise of that, yeah. and and it is in many ways a whodunit. They they do go from suspect to suspect trying to find out who took their money, and that's yeah. the, the the thing that keeps the film boiling along. So Chris is in many ways not the villain. The villain, if it isn't Dave, um, is in fact just the greed around the them. It's yeah. the system, yeah. the greed. Um, the fact that they they you know, basically have to rob, you know, they have to keep upping the ante of what they rob or murder to to get what they want. Um, so I thought, yeah, the Chris, the Chris thing. But once again, it's it's performances like the fact that um, after he's been throttled, you have Julian making snide comments about how fat he is when he's trying to give him heart to heart a massage. Um, is 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 quite a comedy moment. But I thought that that was quite fatly played. However, again, interestingly, on the whodunit scale, I thought Peter Vaughan, though he is also doing a very pantomime yeah. East End villain, is actually very well placed because his role is a nothing role he's just Sonny who's Jason's uncle who gets murdered um, and he's the only reason to have a party there but actually they play him like well could he do it because he's he's a, he's a he's an actual actor. He's he's a big presence when he doesn't need to be. He he has more screen time than he deserves, and he says things that I could be seen as foreshadowing. He's constantly going about, oh, should I have done the black view? Maybe I've lost yeah. my bottle, haven't I? Yeah. And it's always like he's really creepy as well. He's and very it, creepy. Yes, yeah, so like the way the Connie. way that he the way that he um, reacts to Connie when yeah. she comes in the pub. It's very ogling, and yeah. you know that. That that kind of impression that he's you know maybe maybe in jail he has been um, someone who has wielded some power you know like yeah. he, he's 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 a kind of leading gangster perhaps and he gets what he wants as it were or yeah. the way that you know he treats women is as them as objects and yeah. stuff like that yeah so they, I think by by putting him in him in there gives you a legitimate suspect when they think it's Sonny. Because for at least 10, 15 minutes in the film, you're led to believe that he is the one that's got the money, not Dave. So that mis- um, wrong foots you. So I think that was actually was a good piece of casting because you, you'd you kind of look for who, who could the, the suspects be. And if it's not going to be Chris, who was, again, an obvious suspect, it could be Sonny. Um, yeah. So that was, I think, quite a good bit of casting, even if it's played broadly. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I think I agree with that. But you know, Peter Vaughan's a good actor, yeah. so he's, he's going to bring some kind of gravitas and brevi- and and that kind of um, um, kind of he's going to bring something to the role in there, and he does. You know, yeah. it's not a big role, but it's it's certainly larger than life. Yeah, um, there were some nice touches in the film. Uh, I thought the um, discreet ones. It may be. I remember watching this film first time round, and for most of the film, um, Dave is running around in a Dalek T-shirt. And at first, yeah. I thought, are they trying to be somehow chic in some way, saying that because I don't think Dave is the kind of character that owns a Dalek T-shirt. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's it's this. He came in once he'd been hit on the head, bleeding from the head, and Stevie is the only character big enough to lend him a shirt. Yeah, so yeah, he'd given so him one of his geeky T-shirts. So for the whole film, Dave has to run around in an inappropriate T-shirt. <laughs> Um, the Daleks, of course, being the big villains of Doctor Who, so that maybe that was a little cipher yeah, saying, big don't point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. A big arrow on uh, Dave saying he's not to be trusted. Um, Steve actually wearing an X Factor thing, saying the truth is X Factor X Files, saying the truth <laughs> is out there, which might yeah. either mean this thing's a mystery or Stevie knows nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like I said, there was a billboard at the back saying missing. The soundtrack um, at times there's a lot of getting soundtrack in this movie. <laughs> there some, is, yeah. some more appropriate than others, but. Like I say, there's. I think when he can't find Stevie at the very end, the soundtrack. Oh, he can't find Connie. Uh, the soundtrack is playing. I miss you like crazy. <laughs> and then um, once he's all reunited, the soundtrack is like Kith and Kin. Um, I think that's a very '90s thing, though, isn't it? Really, there's it a. Was. The, the, I mean, the, the music is obviously very '90s, um, yeah. but the, uh, that that kind of it's a kind of you used to watch This Life. Yes, uh, yes. About the Lloyds. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Where very you know much, yeah. the music, the music, not just the sound of the music, but the lyrics in the music would completely, um, you know, tell you exactly what's happening in that particular scene at that particular point in time. I'm it, sitting you know, on my sofa, I'm yeah. having a cup of tea. The kettle's just boiled. Do you want one yourself? <laughs> exactly. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was like, <laughs> another bit when um when they're I can't remember the the exact. Oh, I know what it is. It's when they've done the heist and uh they're either walking to the kind of warehouse where they've got all the money, or they're walking from the warehouse and they go past a wall and on the wall is a bit of graffiti that says "Porn stinks." <laughs> um, and I just think that that what what <laughs> stinks and that's the graffiti and it's like what. I, I've never seen any graffiti that's that would would be written like that. Down with this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, porn stinks. Yeah. Although, again, in the background of uh, of this, they certainly want to get across um, a lot of kind of leftist messages. Um, it, it makes no bones about it where it stands. Again, Ray is an ex-communist who has basically given up because he thinks the world has been overtaken by capitalism. Um, the the two insults thrown at him by both Connie and his mother are that he's just another capitalist or you know, grubbing grubbing around for money. Yeah. Um, again, the uh, there's the background of, of uh, demos. Um, there's I find it interesting that the uh, the song that they're guessing on the radio is by Billy Brack. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. So th- things of that nature is again this would have been around the time of New Labour. So I guess this is probably the oldest of the old guard revolting against that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think in itself is interesting. Normally with a gangster film, the gangsters are normally quite capitalist. You think about say. Um, the the long good friday or scarface for that they're they're on the other side of it they're almost the aspirational yeah, social are, yeah. climbers that thatcher would be proud of um, and here yeah. it's actually the other way you very rarely get um at least a gangster who who ought to have who knows he ought to have a social conscience he may not actually have or demonstrate one mm-hmm. um but it, it that's another side of it, which i think is an interesting twist for a brick gangster film so so this, this i suppose this comes to my second perhaps but bone of contention a little bit with the okay. film and I've, I've kind of alluded to this as, as we've gone on a, a, a touch, I suppose. I, I totally get the idea that, um, you know, 
the Ray character has had in the past. He's he's you know gone on demonstrations. He's been yeah. a socialist, if not a communist, and yeah. all this kind of stuff as well. But um, I, I, so what? I couldn't, I couldn't see anything in. There was nothing in his actions that would say to me that he is still one of uh, one of these. You know, still has a social conscience. Yeah. Or or I suppose the the idea that um, why isn't he like the Scarface characters or the kind of you know the the, the Long Good Friday type characters because he's just done an armed robbery to get two million pounds. So it's I know that there's supposed to be a contradiction in how he feels about things and how he thinks about things, but yeah. it I have to say that. For me, that this is the most challenging part of the film, the the, the part of the film that I have most problem with, because the characters don't act in the way that I think they should act. Okay. They, they don't act with their own kind of sense of internal logic. They do completely, they they, they do weird things that I don't expect them to do. So, you know, um, the Connie character is she's held up to be uh, a, you know socially conscious. Um, individual that has no qualms about going out with a with an armed robber and doesn't seem to worry about anything that they, that he does doesn't you know doesn't really question him yeah. other than saying oh you know are you going to be okay or you stop doing this etc etc and i just think what, what why why on earth is she with him that i thought was a weak moment again it was implied they met in before he'd sort of fallen off the wagon um which makes it even worse <laughs> they did yeah, because, like, she met him when when they were when they were you know when they had a political fire in them and yeah. he's gone off and then she's still with him i just can't it, it didn't it didn't play out real to me um yeah. in that regard and so i kind of lost the, the, the plot a little bit in that um again Outside of actually saying Ray used to go on demonstrations, his mum is a communist. Yeah. There was nothing in the actual nuts and bolts of, of the film and his actions that suggested that that was true. He didn't do anything except cry at Bill. But you would. <laughs> I mean, he cried at the appropriate moments. Yeah. Um, it, I, you know, the idea that perhaps um, Antonio Bird, the, the director, is 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 is, in, is ensuring that you know criminals are humans as well. Yeah. You know, they're humans as well. Fine, but they're you don't need to lay on a re- what I felt was quite a forced, socially conscious narrative behind it that didn't actually move the plot on okay. or didn't tell you anything about what was happening in the film, other than saying um, Ray has got a bit, he's got a background. <laughs> so therefore, oh, j- just trust me, he's got a background. So believe in him but nothing he did made me believe in him you know he killed dave in the face really cold-blooded you know it was horrible the way he did that yeah. he, he you know um battering ram all of these people in this warehouse were absolutely terrified they you know wanted to get two million pounds was it in, a, in a, a gunfight in the street in a police station where a policeman got killed you know i just think what, what? <laughs> <laughs> the, the flip and the other thing on the, con- the consequence of that is i know i've mentioned about the romance didn't feel real for me it was worse than that yeah. it was cringy yeah and again i think you could take out the romance you could take out all of the social consciousness yeah. aspect of the film and it wouldn't make any difference to the plot well it'd probably make it tighter certainly i'd agree with the romance i felt again certain actress of lena headley's caliber and indeed any actress should have had more to do than simply just sit on the edge of the bed and say you know i'm I'm tired of you living this life which was pretty much all she had to do um yes yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't go as far as... It would have been a tighter film, I guess it would have been, but it might also have been a truer film. Um, I, you know, I know I know Antonia Burden, she's done a lot of work in, for, um, for the BBC, and, you know, she, her, her politics were left-leaning, yeah. and um, she's, you know, 
I've got no problem with that necessarily. She's made some good films as well. Yeah. The follow-up film to this, Ravenous, is an excellent film with Robert Collal as well, actually, yeah. and Guy Pearce. It's a very, very good film. Um, but I just think her politics in this are getting in the way of and obfuscating what is a reasonably entertaining but straightforward gangster flick. Okay. You know, it's a, it's basically a, um, there's a heist and then there's a double cross and you the rest of the film is them trying to find out who, who double crossed them and i think that what's wrong with that that's okay that's an entertaining film yeah i i agree with that i would say if i was to say anything about why it wasn't that i'd say it's because in the in the time it was made a lot of films were being made like that i think you you needed an angle and wouldn't get made without one um this may have been just to get the politics of filmmaking but maybe yeah again, maybe again, we we just rattled off half a dozen British crime comedy, British crime gangster films around that era that actually have lasted the test of time, and there are probably at least a dozen more that didn't. Um, so if yeah. you weren't to get lost in the clutter, I think you needed an angle. But yeah, maybe that's true. And I suppose the the problem I have them in, then I don't think the angle worked. And the problem for the film then is that that angle is what the film is trying to do to be different. Yeah, when in fact and, that is not what the the theme of the film relies on. So you've got two contradictory things. Yeah, you've got the, yeah, yeah, the, exactly. the theme is pushing against the angle. Yeah, yeah, I to- yeah. That's ex- I think you know you've articulated that so much better than than, than, than I did. The the theme of the film is not about what a lot of the film is talking about. Yeah. Um, and and it's not a metaphor either. It's not a metaphor for something. It's it's just contradictory. Yeah. I didn't like Ray as a character because he is an armed robber and a murderer. Now, I don't have to like the lead characters in films to enjoy the film, but what I find disingenuous is being told that the lead character is a nice guy despite him being an armed robber and a murderer without having any evidence of that. Okay. I like Dave more because at least he was consistent. I like Julian even more because he was... His character is consistent. It's consistently bonkers, but he's consistent. Yeah. yeah. Ray, Ray's a liar. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. I, I, I was thinking back on a previous point you made in, in terms of the, the violence. Here's one thing why I enjoyed the action sequence, which is still very well put together, less now than I did back then, was because mm. back then I, I enjoyed it as a good old shootout between cops and robbers. Um, but it is in the scene where at least one policeman gets shot and at least two more get burned alive in their car. Yeah. And then in the final shootout at the police station, at least several policemen are shot. One is we know is killed dead and we can't expect several more injured in the process. Now, in a film like, I don't know, Reservoir Dogs, mm. that's okay in a sense because it's yeah. it's, 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 it's it's that kind of... It's bang, comedic bang. almost, isn't it? I mean, not, it is yeah, not comedic, quite comedic, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a it's comic book. Um, people always die, but you're, no no great relevance is given to their deaths because it's, yeah. that's the way it is. This is a film where death, certainly again, we're looking at Bill and Linda, looking at Jason, yeah. death is given a meaning, and therefore yeah. all deaths should have, have that same gravitas. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you, so you have them gunning down people. Um, that's what I said, that's why I mentioned the hour mark. In a in a way, in a who done it film, in a who stole our money film, they didn't necessarily need that shootout with the police. That was again because in in the reality of the film, a the police mm. came onto them pretty quickly with armed police and suspected them because there was no real reason to get on them. No one had tipped the police off. David Dave was doing this as an internal job against his own kind. 
Yeah. So there was that. But had that happened, it would have been like, you know, a terrorist incident if you'd had cars blowing up on a London street and gunfights <coughs> going round. Now, I mean, nuns on the run, that's OK, because it's a comedy and you can have gunfights and cars blowing up and still continue as normal as the police as hapless morons. But in this, it's, sh- you know, it's shown that real things happen and real things have consequence. And, you know, in the, the heist scene, it's played very real. No one is killed, but people are very scared and, and violence is very real. And yeah. in the the scene, which was almost put in there to, to get your blood pumping to wake you up again, it's put in there and it's it becomes a different kind of film. It becomes a Reservoir Dogs. So that for that yeah. two minutes when the soundtrack's pumping and Julian and David gunning away at the police station, it's a scene from Reservoir Dogs. And then it jumps yeah. back into the reality of, of what this film is, which is yeah. much more of a character-driven yes. um, piece. Yes, yeah. And, and yes, it, yeah, because you're, you're right. It, it, the the um, the the action sequence at about the hour mark moves the film into the action genre, yeah. and it, it isn't really an action film. It, you're right, as you say, it's a it's almost a chamber piece with four lead characters, and um, and it's a, a it, what it should be is a character driven um, expose of the um, I don't know, desires and needs of these characters to commit the crimes that they do, despite feeling um, completely empty about the reasons why they do it, you know, and wanting to change. Um, but it doesn't go down that road. It's a whodunit and a thriller. And when it does that well, it does it really well. Yeah. I really well. But as I said, the heist sequence is fantastically directed and fantastically played out. It's a chilling five to ten minutes and it's a, it's really unglamorous, and it, it you know it, it's one of the best heist sequences I can remember because my heart was pumping because I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. I thought you know someone's going to get killed here, and it's not going to be a comic killing either. It's going to have some ramification. It's going to have some resonance. Yeah. And even in even in the end, the police the police station sequence is over the top. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but when the policeman who they take hostage is killed, um, I wasn't expecting that yeah. because I didn't think that that was that type of film. Yeah, and it did it, and it went there, and it's quite, it's quite graphic in that, um, and you know, yeah. So there's contradictions all over the film. I think um, some of those contradictions work, some of them don't at all, and that well, that makes it that makes it a that makes it a really really enjoyable film to watch, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Yeah. Okay. Any further thoughts on the, the theme, or should we get into our scores? Bill and Linda. Yep. Are uh, sorry to say this are another set of characters which really irritated me. <laughs> because, <laughs> Bill and Linda. I know, I know. I, because they're they, what they're, they're cheeky chaps, aren't they? They're, they're cheeky companies who are you know world weary. You know, probably survived the Blitz in the <laughs> can do spirit and stuff. You know, all this kind of stuff. You think, oh, aren't they nice? You know, they're kind of they're 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 regulars at um, I don't know the Queen Vic, <laughs> aren't they? That's what they are. They're but they're you know got hearts of gold and all this stuff. But they've why have they? Why have they decided to take the money? You know, why are they hiding the money? What are they doing? I mean, you know, aren't a lovely old couple? What? No, they're harbouring criminals. No, didn't I, <laughs> and like, I, I don't mind that. You know, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. I don't. I, like, I don't. I don't watch gangster films thinking. Yeah. Oh, naughty, naughty. These aren't you know. But this, this. What am I? What am I supposed to feel about these characters? Well, I, this this will make you like Ray less. But the, <laughs> what I what I took from it was again they're like a, you know old family friends and they hang around yeah. with them, that kind of stuff. But um, they basically said let's put our bags in the in the attic. Don't look in them because that way you'll get plausible deniability with yeah. the police. Yeah. Uh, and Bill just makes a comment like, oh, I know they're rookie though, aren't I? And then and then I think they're on the radio. They're playing News of the Armed Robbery. 
and Bill doesn't put two and two together. He doesn't like give him a wink and say busy night. He uh, he basically doesn't is ignorant of the, the connection, which makes me think Bill just thinks that they've got you know a load of stolen videos in their bags and they're hiding out here. He doesn't know he's harboring a de you know a violent criminal's swag, and that's cost him his life. So yeah. I think that's again it's a Ray on one hand is you know playing being the the good guy saying you know don't look in the bags that way the police can't get you. Yeah. On the other hand, he is manipulating Bill and Linda because they are they are they are in much deeper than they know. Yeah, and 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 yeah, that's true. And you are right, that makes me dislike Ray more. <laughs> but but I have to say, if... You still think Bill and Linda had it coming? I still, well, they did have it coming, but but if, if, the film, if the film's portrayal of Ray was of um, a... I don't know. Let me, I'm trying to explain this. If that was the point of the film, yeah. that Ray has this inner conflict between being an armed robber and wanting Bill and Linda to not look in the bag, yeah. you know, properly. Yeah. If, if, the, if the film was that kind of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another film where there is this, there is inherent contradiction in the main character and the film is about that contradiction. The only thing I can think of is a film called um, Bad Lieutenant starring Harvey Keitel and he's a bent cop, copper. I mean, he's a really bent copper. Um, yes, I remember his, uh, his car door scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But what he's, yeah, so, you know, he, 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 he murders, he's, he's horrible. You know, he's a horrible, horrible he's a, he's cop. He's a bad lieutenant. He's a bad lieutenant, but he's investigating the rape and murder of a nun. Yeah. And he, in the course of the film, finds some kind of redemption, despite being a horrible, horrible character. And you can kind of buy into him because he's, you know, he's not, he's not a nice person, but, the journey in the film is about him being nasty. Yeah. And in, in face, it's not that at all. It's Ray's just, you're supposed to like Ray because you're just supposed to like him. Yeah. And I, you know, given what he's done to Bill and Linda, <laughs> should I like him? If the film was about him being a despicable character coming to some realization, maybe. Yeah. But he's not, he's already that person. That's interesting. Fair enough. Yes. So he is worse than the Harvey Keitel bad lieutenant in Bad Lieutenant. I didn't enjoy Bad Lieutenant. I think he should have sent that person down when he caught him. Yeah, I think Bad Lieutenant is a, a Marmite film. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and thus, in the first episode of Volume 2, we realise yeah, the differences. Yeah, is... You're not going to make us watch Bad Lieutenant episode now. Episode 2 of Volume 2 is Bad Lieutenant, though. <laughs> So uh, you know, put my cards on the table there for for Ray. I uh, he's he's the lead. I think of all of the characters in all of the films we've we've watched uh, weekend at comics, he's the least likable character. Interesting. And I include the Scottish soldier whose name <laughs> escapes me in Too Late the Hero. I quite liked him. Yeah, I, well, I liked him more than I liked Ray. Yeah. Fair enough. I guess he guess Robert Carlyle is a Marmite actor. He's uh he's since found work playing Rumpelstiltskin on an American uh long running TV show about a fantastical world where fairy tales interact with real life. What the hell? The Mrs. Loves It. Um what and it, what's that called? Something like Ever After. It's not a film, it's it's like a seven like series. It's a seven almost certainly, yes. She's probably yes. watching it as we speak. <laughs> I think it's called like Ever After, but uh, Rumpelstiltskin is a main player and that's Robert Carlyle. Wow. Well, there we go. I'd say he's... Has he made it, then? Does that mean he's made it? Uh, he's made it in the Rumpelstiltskins. Maybe he's, maybe he's probably the, the, the definitive Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> he's the definitive Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah, have you ever won a Rumpelstiltskin? 
Robert Carlyle. Indeed. Well, again, talking of this life, who'd have thought that Andrew Lincoln would find uh, fame and fortune oh, is yes. in The Walking Dead? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that's very I, true. I well. couldn't stand Egg. I would have been gladly happy to feed him to the zombies, <laughs> but uh, I, I love Andrew Lincoln in The Walking Dead. I think he's knocking out the park. I've never seen an episode, so uh, I can't comment. I but think, I think it, you would probably I, I both enjoy it, and I, dislike The Walking Dead a lot. Yeah, I, I always find it odd when um, minor British character actors make it in America or Hollywood somehow. Like Idris Elba is a bit like that as yeah. well. When when I, I think, how, oh yeah, how's he? I mean, he's a good actor, but how has he made it? That's that's amazing. Andrew Lincoln's another one that you think, wow, okay. I think Martin Freeman as well. well suddenly, well, wow, how's he? You know, why is why is he really beloved? If you really want to enjoy yourself, go and find uh, clips of Hugh Laurie playing Blackout of the Third and read the oh, comments yeah, full of house. house fans saying, "What the hell is Doctor House doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll try that. <laughs> so, should we should we move on to the scores? Let's move on to the scores. So, uh, join us after the third break, so we will do the scores and learn what James has in store for me next month. Oh dear. Welcome back to our final part of uh, Volume 2, Episode 1, when we will rate the film, and I don't think I need to be particularly prescient to think maybe we'll not be rating it the same. But Well, who knows? Who knows? We give uh, we give five floating Crombie head scores out of five, and uh, we can't give five half marks. Five being the best, of course. Five being the best, uh, one being the worst. We can't allow zero marks, we can't allow half marks. And at the end of the year, they are collated into an enormous spreadsheet uh, when James will prove with statistics that I am wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only 11 more months to go. And I, I'm, I'm waiting with abated breath. So, I, I, t- tradition dictates, I've remembered it this time, I will go first, it's my film, I'm going to rate it, and I will rate it three floating crombie heads. Mm. I think... Um, I think it stands up. Um, I think it stands up better than a lot of films of its time would do. I think it, it, it's worth the rewatch. That, that's what surprised me when I saw it. I enjoyed myself just as much watching it a second time. I think it has good character performances in it. We've talked about who they may or may not be in that. Um, I think it's exciting. It's a lean one hour forty. I think it's three because, as we've discussed earlier, it falls flat. It sometimes clutters. Again, its lead character is clearly Marmite. Um, and I wouldn't, again, even though I enjoyed it, I would not argue strongly that other people ought to enjoy it. Maybe it's because I'm imprinting because I enjoyed it way back in the day. Um, yeah. But there are certainly characters there that are, again, definitively putting in good, solid performances. I liked the, the mystery of it. I liked the action sequences of it. Um, it's a good watch. It's a three out of five Crombie heads. Over to you, James. Okay, interesting. So I, um, before I give the score, there's one thing I, I um, will say about Face, which um, I find... Um, when I watch a film, it's it's the one thing that I that gets my back up a little bit, and it's um it's it's where there is a kind of a, a moral or ethical ambiguity about the film that provides the viewer with um uh, an assumption that you should think one way about a particular character or about a particular storyline, but the reality is that you end up thinking completely differently about that particular character or storyline. And I think Face sums that up significantly for me. So what I mean by that is you are expected to sympathise with a lot of the lead characters in this film because they are ha- they, they have a human element to them. They have baggage and backgrounds that are sympathetic 
But actually, I find that the film is hypocritical in what it's trying to tell you about those characters. They are, in fact, the opposite of what the film is stating and setting out in, in, in advance of you watching it. And that's problematic to me. And I can take a lot of, um, you know, I can take a lot of very poor films and um, deal with the, the, the quality of the film. But what I can't take is that kind of that assumption that I should feel one way about a film when actually it's obvious to me that it's problematic. Having said this, there are some good things about Face. In it is a good film that is lean, that is tight, and that is a very solid British gangster flick from the, the mid to late 90s. Phil Davis is superb. And I would say at least two of the three action sequences or set pieces are very, very well put together. I think it's directed very well as well. So it does kind of redeem itself a little bit. And as a consequence of that, I'm going to give it two disembodied crombie heads. Two um, crombie heads. And I think actually the two crombie heads, a lot of that is down to Phil Davis um, and the heist sequence. So I think without those two elements... I, I would have struggled with it. I'd I really say they're the, they're the memorable moments. They um, are, yeah, definitely. But they're done well. And actually, if it was just, and if it was a bit tighter in that regard and didn't have all of the kind of wooliness about oh whether whether Ray is is you know he's he's, he's trying to get out of the system, but he's not. He's not at all. He's not. Okay, two two further points I'll I'll make. Firstly, is yeah. this wasn't my motive for choosing the film, but it did occur to me that choosing a film with that wore its political colours so cleanly on its sleeve uh, would probably rouse some kind of reaction from you. So I was quite interested to see what that would be. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm such an open book, aren't I? <laughs> uh, um, and the second thing was, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, unless um, the director is using a pseudonym, this is our first female director, um, and unless James has proved himself to be quite sexist by not giving her more marks. I am. I also wonder whether, yes, I think also that this is our first um, posthumous director as well. Is so, Antonia Ben um, dead? She is, yeah. She died in 2014. Um, I... She had a, a very rare form of cancer. Oh, dear. Yeah. I will yeah. say I think Orson Welles is dead, though. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> and I'm guessing the guy that directed Today the or Hero is... is also dead. Robert Aldridge. Yes. And I, I even I think maybe even John Frankenheim is dead. An interesting film face, certainly, certainly worth watching and certainly worth discussing, I think. Let's find out what you have in store for February, James. What what will we be watching? Well, um I have tried my hardest to avoid another psychological horror film, just on the basis that I think we've we've probably done that genre <laughs> to, to, to death. Uh, I think five of my six films were were psychological horror. Um, I've I've gone down um, the road that um, I, I of wanting to watch a film by director or directors that I admire and really enjoy, but maybe haven't seen a film of theirs. Um, so I've decided to choose. For the February edition of Weekend at Crombies, Speed Racer by Ooh. the Wachowski sisters. Ooh. So, um, yeah, Speed Racer, um, that's going to be the February film. How interesting. Well, then, yes. we'll say no more of that. Um, Indeed. And that, I believe, concludes our inaugural podcast of 2019. Uh, wow. Nothing further to say than I hope you enjoy your Weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Oh, so my cat's just been sick on the bed as well. Oh dear, it's, uh, it's all kicking off tonight. <laughs>